talking to Kathleen Chua today. Uh, she's a psychic reader. She speaks to the dead. She reads tarot cards, uh, oracle decks. And uh, yeah, she is doing that uh, from Prague, where she lives. But she's originally from Singapore. She told me a lot about Singapore, what's good, what's bad, um, and what kind of country it is. It's a very interesting country for languages, uh, business hub for Asia, um, diplomatic connections to North Korea, one of few countries in the world that do that. And uh, yeah, of course, she told me her story, which is very much uh, influenced by um, abuse, um, heavy abuse that didn't end until she was quite, I would say, almost, a, yeah, in, in my culture, a grown-up. And uh, and how she dealt with that and how it made her feel and how it influenced her life. Um, and then what she did to get away and, uh, and how it was to go through a healing process herself after she finally broke the chains and, and, and moved away from the family and her country. And then, yeah, of course, we talked a lot about tarot readings, uh, oracle decks, uh, how she sees dead people. Uh, she meets her grandfather, for example. He stands behind her in her apartment. And uh, a lot of, yeah, a lot of very interesting things. This show wouldn't be on the road unless it was for great sponsors, Alfred Jobs, Alfred.cz, um, available also as an app. In English, Czech, Slovak, and Russian, jobs all over the Czech Republic and Slovakia, and you basically get them sent to you. So you don't have to spend time searching. Alfred does the search for you. You can apply with one click. Super, super user-friendly, easy to use. Thousands of jobs, a new, hundreds of new jobs every day, and thousands of jobs per month. Check that out, alfred.cz. And then the Oldbar, Oldbar Prague in Seifertova 21 in Shishkov. Um, that's very close to the main train station and um, yeah, Churchill Square and uh, Business University or something like that. Yeah, great food. Just uh, yeah, my favorite food and uh, oatmeal, skier, and not. not not stuff that you know when you see when I say skier you probably think about that shit that they try to sell you in the supermarket it's not like that it's real skier it's organic it's made in a small farm by a recipe made by the oat bar and the oatmeals are not like you know some instant shit that you put in the microwave for five minutes it's the real deal it's boiled for fucking 50 minutes and super creamy and nice so yeah and toppings that are you know salted caramel sauce and oh fucking hell I get hungry when I talk about it Try it out, the old part Prague. Okay. okay, hi. Hi. Kathleen Chua. Yes, Kathleen Chua, yes. How are you? I'm doing fine today. Yeah? Yeah. You have something called Nuwa. Yeah. How, how do I say it? Um, it's actually called Nuwa, but it's actually like, Mother Nature or Gaia, but in Mandarin. In Chinese? Yeah. That, that's a, yeah. And uh, you're from Singapore? Yes, I am. Um, so you speak Mandarin? Yes, I do. There, because there are four languages in, in Singapore. English, Mandarin, Tamil, and... Hindu, I think. No, or Tamil. Or I think it's Tamil. Tamil and Malay. Malay, yes. Yeah, that's from the from Malaysian part. Yep. Yeah, I was very surprised when I found that out that there are four official languages. That's really like, um, it, it tells a lot about the country though, mm -hmm. because it's such a melting point. Yeah, it is such a melting point. 
Uh, you're here because we have a mutual friend who has been uh, very good at recruiting uh, people <laughs> people into <laughs> my podcast and, and told me about you. And um, so what you basically do, if I'm not wrong, is that you read runes, mm-hmm. um, you do tarot. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Um, no, actually, I don't really do tarot. I do like oracle decks. They're very close to tarot, but they're slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, Oracle decks are more happy and usually people don't really like to use them because they think that's too happy. But I think with the proper reader and intuition, you should be able to get some important messages, even if they're bad, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, so so which one is happy and which one is... Tarot is usually very direct and uh-huh. it has more cards and you have to memorize some of the major arcanas and the minor arcanas, which, be- which basically relates to something in life and all the different yeah i'm not really good with tarot you have okay. to read it and memorize it but oracle decks are easier um but the guidebooks are not very mm, detailed so every card can be for work it can be for love so it's mostly um based on your own intuition so uh-huh. i do so it gives more, more freedom it yeah. gives more freedom for interpretation yes uh-huh whereas the tarot this may be a little bit more narrow uh, no, for tarot, like every card, um, they have all the different aspects like uh-huh. work, love and everything. Mm-hmm. So if you have like a tarot deck and you get a card immediately, you would know like, okay, is it a good one or is it a bad one? Is it yes or is it no? Mm-hmm. But Oracle decks are not so direct. So mm-hmm. there's a lot left for interpretation. Um, usually you can do meditation with it so you can see some stuff. The pictures will also tell you like different things. Uh-huh. Okay, so yeah, we we're gonna talk more about this later because I mean, this is you, this is your business. I I see, I see you advertise uh, uh, your appointments. You book your appointment. Everything is sold out, but I have one free slot in <laughs> August or September or something. I I've been, I've been following you, and and I I can see that it's obviously people are coming for this, and and uh, you're the expert. So, but I wanted to yeah w- w- maybe kind of figure a little bit out how you got into all this because you have a quite an interesting and also very challenging background but um, as we said you you're born in Singapore and uh, how how is it to live in Singapore i mean what kind of country is this i think singapore is a first world country mm. but there are some aspects of it that i don't think is very progressive like the thinking um, and how being homosexual is still illegal in singapore and one thing I really love about my country is that we don't have drugs. Mm. That was a huge shock when I moved to Prague. And um, But one aspect of it is the fact that a lot of um, children and the educational system is not very helpful. Mm. It's good. It's one of the best in the world. I do not deny that. And I'm very thankful for my education. But I think that children are forced and overworked. You know, they have a lot of activities and they have a lot of things to study at home. And they always have so many classes. And I think mental health is one of the most least talked about topic in Singapore. And we had cases of children killing themselves before the national exam results were released because they thought they did badly but that kid turned out to be the top in school Mm -hmm. he died you know before he actually got the result so what i'm seeing is a lot of mental health issues that people are not addressing and parents do not want to address it or maybe they don't realize it you know because we were brought up that way 
like in most Asian cultures, which can be occasionally very toxic for some families. Mm. But it's it's like um, it's interesting because you have have this. It's such a strong thing in Asian culture is is the pride and and to 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 do well. You know that parents have to be proud of their kids and 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 whether it's education, sports, or 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 work. You know, it's the same in Singapore. Yeah, it is exactly the same. But I think Singapore has progressed a lot more than some other countries like China, or, well, yeah, China and maybe Korea because mm. like I, there's always this um, family cohesiveness that entails with a lot of responsibilities and obligations. So, for example, um, usually Chinese people they marry Chinese. You know, they don't marry out of the race, and some of those that do. Sometimes they face a lot of racism, mm. and this is the same with so many other Asian communities that I've seen. And this is one aspect that I don't think is really healthy in the long run for a lot of people. As you said, like pride and everything is very important for the family, and sometimes I think it's not the right way to educate a kid or a child or bring up a child in this environment. Mm. Because I think I would prefer. If I was given a chance, I would prefer the European way of living. You know, children get to play. Like in Czech Republic, I see children in the playground every day. They're happy. Mothers have five years of maternity leave and stuff. But in Singapore, we have sixty-eight months. They get mothers six get, to eight months. Yeah, mm-hmm. mothers get paid really well for that. But you can see that they suffer. You know,、mm. when they go back to、um, work and everything、mm. and. Most people are hesitant. I think most people are hesitant to have kids, but they have them, or parents would, you know, like kind of push them and stuff like this. And I, I didn't realize it was so bad until I moved to Prague, and I saw some of my European friends, and you know, they were single and over thirty, and they were happy, and I was like, how? And I thought like maybe their parents wouldn't push them so much, and it was true. Most of the parents do not push them, but in Asia, it's slightly different. So. I'm 30 and single, but if I was in Singapore and some of my friends are in Singapore and they're single over 30, and I can see the pressure, and it、mm. just has this perpetuating myth that something is wrong with you, that you're not conforming to society standards, which is basically the same as conforming to some Asia standards, and that's also why Singapore still has the rule of not legalizing homosexuality because people are not comfortable with it,、mm. and the government doesn't want to upset the people. I can understand it from a very broad point of view, but it's something that I cannot accept in the long run.、Mm. When I was there, I was、uh, <clears throat> I was surprised that you know, like it's it's a rich country. I mean, it's a、uh, it's kind of like a business hub. It reminded me of I don't know Switzerland or Luxembourg or something where or Dubai or something. You know, like yeah, that you have these amazing buildings. Everything was clean, and everybody seemed to have money. Is that like is there any you know? There's no No, no one poor there, right? There are poor people, but you just even I don't get to see them so much. Where do they keep them?、Yeah. We don't keep them, but、uh, we have shelters and we have、um, special housing, like one bedroom housing that、um, very underprivileged families could rent. But they are far away from the city's view,、mm-hmm. and usually these people they spend a lot of time working or they spend a lot of time at home, so you don't actually get to see them. But what you said about Singapore having money is true because people are very driven to 
use material goods to display their social status. So for example, like I walked in today with like, I don't know, like a cloth bag and I carried all my tarot things in that bag. But in Singapore, it's most a beautiful people, bag, by the way. Thank you. Uh, but most people, they would have branded stuff like LV or mm. like Miu Miu, you know, stuff like this. And it's like a social status thing. And when I was back in Singapore, I had the same pressure. Like people would casually comment and it would upset me and I'll be like, okay, you know what? Maybe I just need to have one. And mm. I did have a few, but it was like this mm, constant climb for social status. But maybe that comes also because it's actually a very small, I mean, it's a 5 million people nation or something like that, but on a but on an extremely small land. I mean, it's the most dense population in the world. So, so it's really everybody's kind of living on top of each other somehow. So I guess yeah. it's difficult to to create that space to be different. Yeah, and also because in Singapore, they put a lot of pride into um, scientific causes, like people who take math, engineering, sciences, you know, they put a lot of emphasis on that. And people who take arts and music and stuff like this, they don't really get to explore. Mm. And I believe if i'm not wrong that like some of our olympic trainers like joseph schooling and stuff like this they are olympic known swimmers you know or like athletes but the government doesn't pay a single cent for their training mm -hmm. they have to pay for it themselves just like all the singers the artists the freelancers in singapore and i think that's why people are hesitant to break out into it number one is family obligations like what are you doing as a painter like you could be a doctor, you could be an engineer. Mm -hmm. And then the other points are like people who don't have the adequate support. And when you don't have the adequate support to break out of it, it's very hard to break out of it because you have not seen a role model. You haven't seen someone actually doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what is the thing with the chewing gum there? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think some asshole a few decades ago like i don't know there were some people that were chewing gum and they were sticking it everywhere in the public street under the chair stuff like this and people's hair it was just crazy and that's probably why it was banned yeah because when i got there i i was uh, heavily addicted to nicotine and and i needed i needed to chew nicotine chewing gums and I went into a store and asked for chewing gum and they just looked at me like i'm i'm some sort of a weirdo and i had no clue that it was banned you know Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, but it was okay. I, I survived. I wasn't there for too long. Um, but it's an interesting. Yeah, but, yeah. I, I didn't know much about. But it's it's Singapore has friends everywhere. You know, like it's it's an interesting country because it has, has a very good relations to both uh, Middle East, to Western countries, and to North Korea. I mean, it's one of the few countries in the world that actually has diplomatic relationship with with North Korea. And yeah. and and the, the, there was this meeting between. Um, Trump and and the guy in North Korea came. No, what's his name? Kim Yo. And Kim uh, yeah, and they, they that was facilitated by Singapore. So I mean, I think it's it's such an interesting thing that that you have this country that is, I don't know, this melting pot of everything. Mm -hmm. I think Singapore is a melting pot of a lot of cultures, and with the four official languages, you can see that Singapore is a country based on meritocracy. But there are still underlying racism issues or racial issues that people don't talk about. Like what? Um, I never really thought about it because Chinese is the predominant race in Singapore, so I don't really face a lot of racism on my side. Because you, you're, you're come from, your family is from China? Yeah. Okay. But uh, 
Chinese, like the race, Chinese is like the most, uh, the predominant race, the majority mm. of the race in Singapore. And I have some Indian friends and they do face racism when they apply for jobs. People mm -hmm. always say, oh, I just want someone who speaks Mandarin, which basically means I just want someone Chinese to work for the company. So I have a lot of Indian friends that do speak Chinese, but when they apply for the job, they say, oh no, like we, we want someone else. But it's not because they want someone else, it's because they want someone Chinese or I don't know. Mm. white but yeah it was just i was hearing these stories and i didn't really think much about it until it started to blow up a little bit when my friends were looking for work and everything and they were getting rejected mm. but not getting rejected because of their qualifications but the fact that they couldn't speak mandarin or they were not chinese and that was like part of the racial issues that i thought was prevalent it was interesting when i was in 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 beijing it's um i really felt um like a fucking unicorn, you know, <laughs> like, uh, and uh, people were taking pictures of me on the street, like that, uh, that I was some sort of a, a freak. And then, I mean, is that racism? Yes, I think it kind of is racism, but in a very fucked up and less um, negative way. I think it, it didn't harm me, you know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I, I, but it was really, really interesting. And I'm, I'm, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I have some friends from France, and I met them when I was backpacking across Thailand or Philippines. And they told me they were living in China in one of the cities called Chengdu. They were living there for like two years, and all they had to do was to be white, and they could go into clubs for free, get free dinners. And just have their pictures everywhere in mm. the city, you know. And yeah, I, I would say it's racism, but they actually cashed in of it. So I wouldn't like, yeah, I, I think it's racism, but in a different way. Mm. Um, there was something more. I, I don't remember what it was that I was going to ask you about with Singapore. Yeah, I, I will come later then. Uh, but um, so, yeah, so you say that in, in, in Singapore they focus more on kind of hard science that, you know, that mm -hmm. there's not a lot of space for arts and, and creative stuff. And that, that also then makes the, the, the society probably a little bit more homogenic in, in some way. That Yeah. And also, um, you know, because we have a very tight schedule with studying mm. and studies and parents, usually parents that are middle class to the upper class um, families, they usually line up a lot of classes for the kids, like swimming classes, guitar, music, everything. So when they line up so many things together, um, I don't think any of the kids would have time to actually explore any other hobbies. And there are people who broke free and they, we have a lot of um, entrepreneur, um, entrepreneurial um, grants in Singapore. They do try to encourage people to start their own business. Mm. But I don't think the freelancers or the artsy um, artists in Singapore get enough like credit for it and they don't get enough um, gigs or like support from anybody. Yeah, that's the thing. I I, I really... Yeah, I mean, if you ban chewing gum, then I, I don't believe that rock concerts can be good for you, you know? Like, <laughs> all hell breaks loose. But uh, a little bit about yourself. So you, you're from a family of five. Yes, I'm from a family of five. I have my parents and I have my two younger brothers. Mm. And... Uh, how was your childhood there? I mean, how? Uh, what kind of family are you from? Like a middle class or? or? Mm, I come from a middle class family. Mm, when I was younger, I think I would call us a little bit upper class. And there were some financial issues, so we went back to middle class. But I would say I had a pretty 
financially okay childhood, mm. but um, my father was really abusive. And even to this day, he doesn't think he is. But uh, when we talk about being abusive, it comes in many forms, mm. um, emotional and physical. And I lived in a childhood where like punching a wife is often or like having things slapped across your face is very common, you know, and it happened all the way until I was 21. There were periods when it stopped a little bit, but it was very common and I didn't actually know that this was abnormal. Uh, what, what, so was it more mental than physical then? Or, or Oh, I think I had like everything. I was talking to my therapist a few weeks ago and she said like, oh my goodness, like he literally used every manipulation technique on you. And I was like, oh great, this is mm. so much better. But yeah, I, I think I had like a full range of emotional and physical abuse. And wh- um, what was his justification at the time? I mean, what was... was um, he you said, were doing something wrong or, or... Yeah, it could be something as simple as lying which I thought was, it could be a white lie or it could be, I don't know, I, I thought my mother get beaten up because there was not enough water in the kettle. So mm. I would say it's pretty like a wide range of stuff. Okay, and, and, and you have brothers, right? Two brothers. Yes, I do have two younger brothers. They're lovely, but I think with the childhood that we had, we turned out very differently. I'm not super close to them, but I know if I called them now and say, oh no, you know, I don't have money to come home. Yeah, then they would probably get everything like, give up everything to bring me home but um, I don't think we talk a lot we are not very emotional people we are quite distant from each other and uh, so you said you thought this was all normal you thought that that like both the physical and the mental abuse was was a normal thing I mean or or yeah, I thought it was all normal until I went to Polytechnic. I think I was 17 mm. and I was in a new school and I had new friends. And that was when I started using Facebook. I think Facebook, social media, I can't remember. But I started using the internet more often. When I was younger, I watched movies my parents watched, listened to music my parents listened to. I don't really have a lot of experience with the online world until I was in my Polytechnic. And I started reading about feminism. Mm. And that was when I read about certain things about like things like boundaries or how to treat a woman and what other things are okay and not okay, mansplaining. And I was like, oh my God. And I was looking at it and I was like, oh my God, my father was doing this and this and this. And I was like, oh my goodness, what is going on? And after that, I started talking to some friends in school and that was when I realized, oh, so like, you know, getting beaten up and stuff is not very normal. But I have to say when I was younger, I think I was 15 no, 14 to 16, I was in high school. I had a counselor and I saw her like three times a week because I was having like very serious mental breakdowns from school with bullying and also like the situation at home. A lot of my friends didn't really know my real situation at home. The counselor did. So that was my first indication that it probably wasn't normal, but mm. she she was just there for me. Like she tried her best to be there for me. But I think she understood that there was not much that she could do. It's not like Europe, you know, when your parents beat you up, they can just, you know, like you would go into foster homes. I don't think it works the same in mm. Singapore. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, this, um, you said that you've seen your mom uh, slap because there's not enough water in the cattle. I mean, were there some in- incidents like this with yourself that you recall or any particular, like, from youth, like when you were very young, that like you did something wrong, I don't know, you know, that where, where you were punished. 
yeah, I, I remember a few incidents. And sadly, that's the problem of trauma brain. But we'll talk about it later. Um, so one of the incidents I had was my father bought some stuff from Malaysia, some food. And there was some soup in this like packet of stuff. And when I opened it, I didn't realize that the soup was flowing out from the other end. And when I realized it was too late and he was livid. He started beating me up. He started kicking me and he was saying, oh, I'm doing this to you because, you know, you're so forgetful. You, you're you not paying attention. How can you not be mindful? It was it was painful. How old do you think you were then? I think I was mm, I think I was 15 or 16. I wasn't very mm, mm. young. Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> but how is it? To have, I mean, was this every week, or you know, or or the threat was always there somehow, or or? I think for me, I was always like in survival mode. I didn't really realize I was, but it's like I didn't feel safe in my own home. Mm-hmm. So what I did was every time I was at home, I would be like on high alert. You know, I would tune into his every need. I would pay attention to his emotions. The moment he started to have like little inklings that he was getting upset, I would apologize profusely, even though I didn't know what was wrong. Or I would just try to distance myself from it to hope that I wouldn't get in trouble. So I was always very... And you know, some people talk about being an empath where you could feel the emotions of others. Yeah, I think like this is why people are empath because they have very abusive childhoods. But um, I had to really go into survival mode, you know, and mm. it's just like being very careful about what he was doing. And the worst thing was it was always unexpected, I guess. I think for me, I was a bit stupid, probably. I, I didn't really like see the patterns. It wasn't... It doesn't have to be every day. When I was younger, it was very constant. So I saw my mom had have this all the time. What I, I still remember when I was five or six, I was hiding under the... We used to be Buddhists, so we used to pray to this God and we had this altar table and everything. I was hiding and praying over there with my brother when he was beating up my mother in the restroom. Yeah, I still remember that memory. It was horrific. Wait, so you're, you're praying to your Buddhist God while your father is beating up your mom in the in the bathroom? Well, that's fucked up. I know you were so fucked up. Wow. And and what about how could you perform like in school and all these things and function like socially with all the kids? I think um, I was very lucky. So a lot of people, they respond to trauma in very different ways. Mm. For me, I responded with disassociation. And I didn't know what it was until my therapist told me. But disassociation is when you just completely shut down. You mm-hmm. just shut down all your emotions and you can't really feel it. Like right now, as I'm speaking to you, I could feel like a little bit of the tears coming up. But when I was younger, I think you could slap me on the street. I wouldn't have a reaction at all. Mm-hmm. And I think this association was as much as it was um, a double-edged sword. It helped me a lot in school to function and everything. And on the other side, it took me like five, six years to actually learn to cry again. And I would have to thank my first boyfriend for that. But yes, I think disassociation was one of the key aspects of how my brain works to help me cope with life, number one. And number two, trauma brain. So when you have a lot of trauma that happens to you, you don't remember a lot of things. And I think that's what my brain did. It just like completely suppressed and compressed a lot of memories. So if you ask me now, like, oh, Kathleen, what did you get for your 18th birthday? I can tell you right now, I don't remember. From one to 25, I remember nothing. Maybe just a select few memories, like 10, 20 memories, but that's pretty much it. So you you basically just switch switch it off somehow, and yeah. that's a surviving mechanism. Yeah. Um, can you be closer to the? Yes, yes of course. Yeah. Sorry. Um, sorry. Uh, yeah. And uh, but just what about your mom in all this? And and uh, where, 
is she still with your father? Or I, yeah, she's still with my father. Um, and what did she think when this was happening? I think she she had family. And then my father kind of like, I don't know, I feel like he isolated her from them. Mm-hmm. So she never speaks to them. She never talks to them. And she has this bad impression of them where they're not honest and nice to her. But for me, I see it from a different point of view. I think they probably weren't honest or nice to her or him because of how he was treating her, you know. But yeah, anyway, so I think he isolated her and she just, I don't know. I, I think she was really strong to go through this with us. And I knew she did this because she wasn't educated. So she knew that if she left my father, she wouldn't have anything. Mm. And um, I think a few years ago, she had like the Stockholm Syndrome like she completely switched. After my father had a heart attack, she became very fearful of losing him and she wanted to be closer to him and stuff like this. But I still remember when I was 17 to about 21, I think. I can't remember. It was like five years of my life. I remember her telling me every day that she wanted to kill herself or she wished she was dead or, you know, I, I wish I would just die now or something. And she was very, she wasn't even crying. She was very disassociated yes that's the word she wasn't crying she was completely disassociated like i think she just saw it for what it was and she just wanted to leave and she told me like if i had a chance to do this again to marry him or to see him in the next life my answer would be a fuck no and i was like okay wow and i was i didn't really i think that experience put me off men for a very long time i Mm. couldn't actually see them as protectors you know yeah and uh um do you i mean like when your mom is telling you when you're 17 that she wants to kill herself how mm-hmm. how how did that feel it was painful mm. were you mm. worried about her no because i i you know asian families they're very bound by obligations and responsibilities so i knew she wouldn't do anything crazy i think she tried yeah, my dad was always like having the last word, like I would kill you and find you and stuff like this, you know, like taken. Yeah. But I think I was really sad for, uh, for a year and a half. I was crying a lot. It was hard to process. But after that, I just, disassociation, yeah. Mm. I just drew myself away from it. So even when she was talking about it, I would try to distract her or I would just think about something else in my head, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's probably really unhealthy, but I think that was how I just tried to cope. That's a coping mechanism. Yeah. yeah. And there was also, I think when I was 24, I started to date excessively. And yeah, I just didn't value people. At that moment, when I was 24, even when I was having friends with benefits, I was sleeping around or meeting people, I would value my friends. But the men that I was with or the men that I had fun with or had dates with, I didn't value them. And I was very vocal about it, you know. I was making a joke and saying things like, you know, if they died on the street right now, I wouldn't give a fuck. And mm-hmm. I knew like that was, now that I think about it, I can see that it was like a really intense um, disassociation I had to really protect myself mm-hmm. and to not have any emotions that would associate me with how my mother was feeling. Yeah, I just didn't want to have the same ending as she did, I guess. Mm-hmm. You do, would, wouldn't want to, be putting your faith in a man that, yeah, that you know the man in your life, the the main man failed exactly miserably. Um, but you said that when we were chatting before, you told me that the teachers let you down, that the school mm. didn't really support you. But even if they were aware that something was wrong, what, 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 you you 
But you had some behavioral issues, I guess. I mean, yeah, this, I had this some, can only yeah. result in that. I had some behavioral issues. I was bullied really badly in school. And my behavioral issue was wanting attention. Mm. So I was a bit of a blabbermouth. And some people told me some secrets. And I spread it to someone else, you know. And it just went really bad because the person affected got upset. So she got people to beat me up. And she got people to bully me. I had to switch schools and that was when I started seeing the counselor because it was getting really bad. Mm. I can't actually remember like why I was seeing a counselor. I think it was because of the bullying, but it changed into the family abuse thing. So I think she was 70 or 80. She was really kind. And we were talking. I think I was going to her for two years, three times a week. Nothing much happened. And um, I think when I was 18 or 19, every time my father was angry, he would always say, oh, you know, you're such a habitual liar. You're such a liar. And he kept saying that. And for the longest time, I didn't really understand, like, why was he saying that? And I was thinking, did I really lie to him so much? You know, it's just like, it just fucks with your mind. And my mother, I think when I was 21 or something, I can't remember, she told me and she said, you know why he calls you a liar? And I was like, no. And she told me, oh, you know, like you used to see this counselor and she went to tell like your biology teacher that there's something what wrong. was something mm-hmm. wrong in the family. And my biology teacher actually believed my father. Mm-hmm. So she called my father and she said, oh, you know, she's a habitual liar. Like she's lying about all these situations at home and she's like not doing well in school and she's putting blame on these situations. And when my mother told me, I was, <sighs> I was flabbergasted. Mm-hmm. I think I felt a lot of emotions in that moment. And have to be honest, like when you have such strong emotions, you can't control it, you know. So I still remember I was in my room and I was livid. I was absolutely livid. And I said, you know, I just really wish the teacher would drop dead right now because she really disappointed me. But my father never talked about it. He never like came up to me and said anything about what she said. But I feel like at that moment, I really felt like the educational system let me down completely. Mm-hmm. If I had to go through this again, I would never. I would never go to a counselor again. Not because the counselor did anything wrong, but the teacher herself, you know. Mm. She was not in the session. She wasn't a part of it, but she assumed. And that's the thing with narcissists and abusers. They are very um, charismatic. So I have so many friends who have been abused and their boyfriends look normal. Like they're sweet, they're loving. And the scary thing is, Behind closed doors, they are monsters, you know. Mm. Even like my friends in Prague, they have exactly the same problem. Mm. And when they break up, the abusers always spin up this sad tale and look so sad, but they were actually the abusers, you know. And the victims are often the ones that couldn't say anything or couldn't do anything. And most of the times they can't even cry because in some po- at some point they either become very insecure and overwhelmed, like some of my friends that cry even when the cat doesn't come, or some of them become like me, completely disassociated. Mm. And I think that's, that's yeah. Mm. But anyway, sorry, back to the story. Yeah, but, um, um, the, the, yeah, I, I, yeah, narcissism is a really, really interesting thing because it's such a, it's such a disguised problem as you say you know a narcissist can be such a double-faced person he can Mm -hmm. be sacrificing himself and doing good and blah 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 but then behind closed doors or or how do you say um, uh, undercover you know they Mm -hmm. they 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 manipulate and they they change the reality and and they move the goalpost and and you know it's a really really interesting thing um but there's like a defining moment you told me when you're like 21 that's that's kind of where where yeah 
where it it changed or, mm-hmm. or what? what what happened then mm. so what happened was i i think i was in university and i was having fun i had a lot of new friends what were you studying i was studying business uh-huh. yeah i was taking a bachelor's in business and um i can't really remember what happened but my father got really upset um i was standing in front of the bed and he was saying something and he slapped me or he pushed me and i fell onto the bed and usually at that point most people would stop and wait for you to get back up so they could hit you again but he didn't he climbed he climbed on top of me and he slapped me even more when he was on top of me and at that moment i i really lost it i i realized how bad this was and it was only because i read up on feminism articles and stuff like this when like when i was 18 and you know all these things they build up and over the years you're like what the fuck how can i like be so helpless you know how could i be so powerless and that's when i took a protection order against him mm-hmm. i ran away into a friend's house and i was really grateful that she gave me her place i'll forever be grateful for that her parents were lovely and everything and um i took a protection order and the sad thing was um it was difficult for me to list on exactly what i what he did we had to take an oath of uh whatever it is the oath of truth or something like this before mm. you actually swallow the report and when i was writing everything down i was shocked but i couldn't really remember all of them there were very specific details like trying to throw me out the window getting a knife after me and stuff like this shit yeah so i was like okay you know what this is a lot i just need to write down one or two of them and um eventually we went to court but before we got to court i think i had a friend with me really grateful for her as well uh we were outside the courthouse and waiting and my father came and he was livid you know he was absolutely i don't know it was like fire coming out of his ears and he was saying you get struck by lightning for this you know for going against your father as i said again like pride and mm. ego and mm. you know shame and he was like you get struck by lightning for this you know going against your father blah 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 and he started to scream at me outside the courthouse I had no reaction. I couldn't even cry. And my friend was like, are you okay? And my friend was getting scared, you know. She was holding my hand and she's like, are you okay? And everything. But all the other abused girls around me started to cry. And I felt really bad for them because I couldn't cry. Like, I didn't feel anything in that mm-hmm. moment. So we went, after that, the security guard had to come and chase him away. We went to have the trial. And it was, then I realized, like, how good he was. Because the moment judge started to talk to my father he cried on the spot like Mm. i'm not talking about tearing up cry i'm talking about willing and a lot of like very intense crying you know and he was like i'm so sorry my daughter is a disgrace to the society she's wasting a taxpayer's money blah 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 and i had no reaction and my friend was like you really have to cry now it's the time for you to cry and i was like i can't cry i really want to but i can't Mm. and um just as I thought the educational system had failed me, I really expected the legal system to fail me too. Um, but I think I was lucky. The security guard ran into the trial and I think he was talking to the judge. And I remember the judge saying, like, if it wasn't for the security guard, he would never believe that I was having like these issues. So the guy that witnessed the fight outside or how your father's behavior outside told the judge and then the yep. judge realized that your father was putting on a show. Yeah. And it was like a defining moment for me, Uh but it made me sad because this was a very unbecoming behavior for my father. So you can imagine for him to flip out like this in public, he must have been livid, you know. But there were so many victims like me who never get to have these abusers flip out like this. Mm. So for me, I was just lucky in that Mm. moment. Mm. But after that, my father still managed to manipulate me to move back home after six months. 
So that's something I'm not really proud of. Uh-huh. So I moved out for six months after the trial. And my uncles and my aunts were providing me a safe space to, sp- to stay. I was seeing my father like twice a week. Once, once every two weeks, sorry. Once every two weeks or once every week. And he really wanted me to move back home. So um, we both had to see a counsellor separately or a psychologist. Oh, sorry. Mm. We had to see a psychologist separately. And he was always telling me things like, oh, you know, the psychologist said that you're a liar too. And that like you're really good with lying and you're just a terrible daughter. And like he knows that you're acting out like a, like a middle child, you know. And I really believed him. You know, I really thought the psychologist was saying all these things. But I never actually asked the psychologist. And then my father was like, can you just drop the case and just like move back home and we'll fix this. And I was like, okay. I just like, I think at that moment, I just really miss my mother. And my father was feeding all kinds of like lies, I guess. And he was saying, oh, your mother miss you so much. Why are you doing this? We could fix this. So after I moved back home, the abuse lessened. But mm. there was a lot, there was still a lot of emotional manipulation. Mm. And I think that was the hardest to live with. The gaslighting, oh, it never happened. And, you know, after a while, you're just like, what? And it's still something that stays with me for a long time. Mm. And uh, I can see it's hard for you to talk about this, and I I understand that. Um, But then you move on. You, You... You're you're studying business there, and and you you stay some more years in 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 Singapore. Yeah. Is that the whole time in your parents' home? Um, no, I was twenty. Do you want to take a break now? No, I'm good. Okay. I was twenty six, and I met my first boyfriend. Uh huh. And we moved in together for a year. Uh huh. Um, the one year we were living together, I realized that I really love living with people, or I felt safer living mm. with him than I did with my parents. When we broke up, and he had to move back to Spain, I was of course heartbroken but i think i was more heartbroken at the fact that i lost my safe space to Mm. be myself and after we broke up that was when i realized okay i'm done i have to move to somewhere else i can't live in asia or do this again Mm -hmm. and had you graduated from from the business or or you 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 finished that I took a distance learning course Mm. um in a private university in singapore i think it was called London School of Economics and Sciences. Yeah, yeah the business management course, yeah. And you were going to be a businesswoman? Or? I was. I was working in corporate for a few years. Uh-huh. I think that this association really helped because I was working in male-dominated industries and I wasn't, like, intimidated. I, I mean, I had sexual harassment cases. Like, men would say really inappropriate things towards me. But, yeah, I was okay with my job. But I realized I had a problem. So I get sick of things really fast mm-hmm. i give it one year and i would get sick of it mm-hmm. and i realized it was a problem because i kept changing my work and whenever i got sick of it i would stop giving a fuck and i had really bad communication issues so if i didn't like my job or if i didn't like something about my work i would just shut off and i it was exactly how i dealt with at home i would just shut up and stop giving a fuck mm-hmm. and i would probably start finding new work by then but and then i realized okay you know what i, I can't keep living like this mm-hmm. yeah and uh but regards to th- this, like education and career, your your parents did they put any pressure on you with this? I mean, was this like a thing for them or? No, I really wanted to go to university because all my friends were going. My parents were not very particular about my grades. Mm. They did occasionally make snide comments, but um, I was not considered as smart as my brothers. My brothers are very good with math and science. 
I am more of the language nerd, you know. Mm. And uh, yeah, my parents. Yeah, didn't you really already said words here that I don't even understand. <laughs> Flabbergasted and uh, blabbermouth, and I mean, I know, I know something about those words, but the, your vocabulary is actually very wide. <laughs> Thank uh. you. Um, but um, uh, listening to this, I mean, it's a, it's a horrible story, and 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 I'm, I, I think. It would break a lot of people, but it didn't actually break you, right? I mean, like, it broke you in some way, but you kept on going. Yeah. And it, it gave you some drive, I guess, that you wanted to get out or away from this. Or I think what I really wanted was to not have the life my mother had. Mm -hmm. And I know for a long time I resented her. But now that I'm older, I can see it from a different point of view. I realized that she was the strong one, you know? And I think for me, it gave me a lot of um, passion mm -hmm. and a lot of drive to get her out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And t talking about this, because I think you mentioned it when you were telling me about Singapore and, and we were talking about the, this, let's say, this stereotypical Asian mm -hmm. culture of, of, of pride and family. It's a very male-driven society, right? I mean, these are... It is. The father is the head of the family. And, uh, um, and yeah, the kids... And the wife are kind of, they have to dance to his tune? Mm, I think in Singapore, it's not that bad. Okay. My father was a special case. But I would say most people probably do not have such family dynamics. I have seen where the woman is the queen in the house and the men have to bow down to them. Those are really rare, but they are. Mm. But I would say this um, Asian dynamic is very prevalent and common. Mm. So we still have a lot of stigma about sending parents to old folks home, senior homes and stuff like this. And usually people with marry within like the same race or they fulfill a lot of familiar obligations. You know, they have to do like, I don't know if my parents want me to stay in Singapore and not move to another country, I would stay mm -hmm. or because my parents wanted to, or I'm afraid they would die early. So I can't fly back in time. I am not judging these people. I have no judgments, but I feel like a lot of people have they have their whole lives ahead of them and they're not living it. Yeah. And, and I know why they're not living it because they are bound by familiar obligations that I have very casually cast aside. Yeah, but I mean, you had very good reasons to do that. I mean, you, you, were, you were bound into a family which, where life was not sustainable. I mean, you, you, nobody, you don't want to live your whole life in, uh, under this kind of abuse, you know? Yeah. But... But uh, yeah, because you know, in, in Iceland, where I'm from, we have the other extreme. We we try to put our parents in a pensioners' home, and as soon as they turn 45 or something, and then we hopefully don't have to see them, except Christmas or something. And <laughs> but whereas in Asia, because you know, when I've traveled in Asia, in Thailand, Indonesia, and 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 China, and and, and those countries, when you talk to, it's interesting when you talk to people. I remember, especially, I had a really long conversation with a taxi driver in Bangkok, and and. Uh, was asking him about his job and how much he earned and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. he, he, he was, it was all about getting his daughter through university mm -hmm. so that she could get a job that would pay for his and his wife uh, older years, you know, when they were old, that she yeah. could take care of them. Mm -hmm. And because of this dynamic, I guess that, yeah, that, that kind of puts a lot of, both focus on the family plus a lot of pressure on you know the children and, and everybody and and you know if you're not serving your parents you're supposed to feel guilty i guess yeah we do have this culture where um 
Asian families, um, Asian parents expect the kids to reciprocate with financial and um, emotional stability. Mm. It's very common. So I wouldn't refute that. But I don't. I think in Singapore, we are a little bit more progressive okay. in certain ways. Mm. But um, I would say that even though we are progressive, I have seen instances where it's quite the opposite. For example, um, like most people still marry within the family because they have to. Some of them don't even want kids, but they would have to because the parents yeah, want yeah. them. So the social pressure is the there. social pressure and everything. Mm. But um, parents do sometimes they have this expectations when they bring you up. They have to, um, you have to like reciprocate with money. Or yeah, so that's something that my parents do too. I have no like qualms with that, but for me, it just makes me. I think it creates a negative effect. You know, it creates resentment, mm. and this is something I really don't want. Mm. Because the thing is, if you wanted kids, then you know you should be prepared to pay for it and to be prepared to take care of yourself as well. Mm. I understand that sometimes circumstances change, but it shouldn't be the driving force behind it. So I have seen. I have pa- friends who tell me that their parents say things like, oh, you know, I paid for your education. I paid for this and that. You should at least give me something back. You know, this is the least you could do. I pay for your phone bills. You know, but the thing is, like, for me, it it's not because I am ungrateful, but I see it from a different point of view. Yeah. Like right now, if I wanted to have kids, my answer would probably be no, because mm. I cannot afford it. But if I do have kids, I wouldn't expect them to do the same to me. You know, I, I, I just want to shower you with love because I want kids. But when you grow up and everything, it's your choice to live your life as it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I was kind of wanted to go into this just a little bit because I was thinking if if you would present your background and history or or, or and and, and you, the relationship with your your mom and dad, if you would present that to another family in in Singapore, would they see it the same way as I see it here in Europe, where? Do you know what I mean? Is it because of this? No. No. Um, we have actually called the cops once on my father. Mm. And I'll never forget what the policeman said when he left my house. He said, you know, this is just a family problem. I don't see any domestic abuse. There are no bruises, no blood. You have to fix it yourself. Mm-hmm. It's so common. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I realized that it was so normal. And I had friends who tell me that they occasionally have things like this. Not all of them. Some of them have very serious issues like mine. But um, the less serious ones they they have similar issues but they see it with a different eye Mm. you know and usually sadly it's usually the men that try to um they try to say things like oh you know but because he's the father you know he works a lot he's stressed he's allowed to un like to vent on things and i was like yeah but it's not healthy and that's Mm. not right you know but that's a very common pattern when you talk to someone from an abusive father or like that that had an abusive father in the there are a million excuses for him somehow, and they're made up in the home. The mom is saying, yeah, your father is very tired, he's worked so much, or he's very nervous, and he's trying to provide for us. So there's the justification of what is happening is often coming from within the home, you know, it's yeah. very weird. It's really um, ironic, but yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, so, why Prague? Mm. A week before I was supposed to move, I was in a group chat in Barcelona and Prague, and I was tracking the chats for a bit and I keep seeing people post things like, oh, I got raped today. I lost my wallet. I got robbed today. It was all in Barcelona's group chat, like expat group chat. And I was starting to get a bit apprehensive. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I should check out how Prague is like in the group chat, like mm. this expat group chat. It was cool. You know, it was like, oh, where do I get this? Where do I buy this? And um, 
So, I decided yeah, the to nature of the messages that yeah, the that, nature yeah. of the messages mm. were very contra, but very not contradicting. They were very conflicting because mm. the two countries were not exactly close to each other, but they're both in Europe, but um, very different experiences, negative and positively um, charged influ- uh, experiences. And I realized, you know what, maybe Prague would be better. So I moved to Prague. I didn't really have like a specific reason. And also because I wanted to get the Shifnostansky, like the freelance visa, it would be easier to get a visa in Czech Republic than in Spain. Mm-hmm. So that's why I moved to Prague. And I do not re- regret my decision. And what... And what but do you, I mean, like, why, why even was Prague even on on the map? Oh, it was because I was choosing the CELTA course, and I really wanted to do it with the school called Oxford Tafel, and they have uh, schools in Barcelona and Prague. So these are English. Uh, yeah, they are like uh, private institutions that mm-hmm. train um, normal people like us to be certified English teachers. Ah, okay. So you wanted to do? Yeah, yeah. This is CELTA and and yeah, TOEFL. Yeah, CELTA and, and the TOEFL. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and has has Prague turned out to be as positive as you expected? If you look at the group chat from Prague and Barcelona, <laughs> I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, did, does it? Did, did, what has been the negative surprise here, if I anything? Think, I think before COVID, it was fine, mm. but I think there's a lot of Asian fetishism here, what? which is very common. For example, like when I first moved to Prague, I think. If I got into a cab that was Uber aboard and the guy was in Czech, he would probably ask me for my number most of the time. Mm-hmm. And they always start things like, oh, you beautiful woman, how are you? I would see that as pretty harmless unless you're creepy, but usually I just let it slide. Mm-hmm. But um, as after COVID, I think I had a lot more experiences like people following me home, men screaming at me on the street. Um, my friends also have very similar situations. And a lot of my friends that had very extreme situations were sad to say a lot of them were agents. I'm not um, dispelling but, uh, like... And, and then people blaming them for COVID or, or... No, I think it's like after COVID, people were a bit crazy, you know. Uh-huh. So I had friends like with guys trying to put their hands between their legs or like people like masturbating right in front of them. And yeah, and for me, it was just men screaming at me or following me home mm-hmm. or even just coming up to the tram stop and say they want to like do something to me. That's really... But you say after COVID, COVID is not Before finished. COVID they, was they, fine. Yeah, but it's not finished. It's never going to finish. They're going to manage to keep this forever. You know, this show is making so much money for some people. <laughs> it and is. It, yeah, it's going to be forever. But so you think that the mental state of the nation has deteriorated? A lot, yes. I would say it has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think it has also made the city a little unsafe at times. Maybe it's a place I live in, but I would say Prague is pretty safe on all levels. Yeah. But I think for my recent experiences, like maybe I could have one every three months, but now I'm having one every two weeks. And for me, that was a lot. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because I came from Singapore and it's so safe. So when I came here, I wasn't expecting people to pay attention to me, even when I'm not wearing makeup. But now I will be really careful about walking home. I'll probably take a cab like 99% of the time. Mm -hmm. This is surprising to me in some way because, you know, like one of the things that I've been here 12 years that I've always felt... I mean, obviously, I'm a guy. I don't get. I well, <laughs> I take harassment as a compliment. That I think it's a different. It's you know, men are we're wired very differently. When when somebody 
flushed with us or screams at us at the street, we are actually a little bit proud that somebody notices that. But I, I get it that it might be gets tiring when it's every week or every day or something like that. I, I totally get that. And it's also a very pointless way of addressing a woman because I've never... I've never seen a, a street worker whistle after a girl and she turned around and told, oh, come home now and let's have sex. You know, like it's, it, <laughs> never, it never had that ending. It never that, happens. Yeah, yeah, it never happens. So it's a very pointless thing. But, uh, but I always felt that the city was safe somehow. And I always told all, all women that I knew that, yeah, you can walk around it at all hours, you know, and, and there's not a lot of... But I, obviously, yeah, th- this whole COVID thing... It fucks with people, you know. It, it does. It really, really fucks with people. And it brings out the worst in them. Yeah, it does. I mean, people are now saying that uh, those who are not vaccinated should not get hospital help. I mean, wh- why would you say that? Why don't you say that then about a drunk driver? You would never yeah. say that about a drunk driver, you know? Yeah. I, I, it, it's, yeah, it has brought out some weird vibes, you know? I think it has divided the community mm. into people who are vaccinated, not vaccinated, or hippie people and not hippie people. I think it's I think it's a disease that has divided the nation or the world more than mm. anything else. Yeah, it's very interesting. And with a death rate of 0.0 something, you know, like it's it's I would understand it if it was like 30% of everyone who catches it dies, but it's actually yeah. But that's a whole different ball game. Um but so so when you get here, you you get into the the let's say the I don't know what to call this, like hocus pocus, <laughs> you know, like you you get into the runes, you, the, a little bit into the tarot, and then the other stuff that you mentioned that the, the oracle decks, oracle decks, mm-hmm. uh huh. What what brought you into that? Was that something that had always been with you, or I think when I was fourteen, I was really interested in having a tarot deck, mm. but I never got my own deck, and I never felt comfortable. I guess I wasn't really ready. So when I moved to Prague, I started living alone. I think like, I think after eight months, I started to buy my own deck when I was really living alone. And in that period after I bought my own deck, I had this massive, I don't know, it was like a massive release for me because I was living alone. So I had to create my own safe space. I had to deal with everything by myself. And I started crying every night. It was really bad. But I was, I wouldn't say it was bad. It was but just- But at least you could cry. You didn't cry before. Exactly. I, and the worst thing was I was crying in my sleep. So I wouldn't really remember it. So I would say like the times I was actually consciously crying, I would say it's like twice a week, which is pretty good. And um, over the period when I was crying, I have no idea. I think I just got really drawn to getting an Oracle deck. So I got one and I started pulling a card every day and I started researching like how to do readings and stuff like this. I just wanted to have fun, you know? Mm. And I started doing it for free for my friends. And... um some of them were really nice. Some of them, I I don't know. I had really weird experiences with them. Like what? Um, for example, there was this lady. I like to practice with people. I like to practice with people that are not from Prague. I like to do it online with complete strangers, so I know nothing about them. Mm. And there was this woman. Uh, before her reading, I had this massive pain in my chest. I thought I was dying, and I, I my ex boyfriend was living with me, and he said are you okay? Are you having a heart attack? And I said, oh God, I feel so bad. I don't know what's wrong. Oh God. And I was really scared because at that moment I thought I was dying. Mm. And when the reading started, the feeling went away and he was like, you're still going to do the reading? I said, yeah, because she's in the US. I'm not going to change my time. And when I did the reading with her, everything was fine until the very last part. She said, can you tell me if my husband would leave me? And you know, when women ask you that, you just think, oh fuck, he's cheating on her Mm. or something like that. 
But for me, I remembered the heart attack very clearly. And I said, did your husband have a heart attack or a stroke? And, you know, you should see her face change. She was like, what? And I said, yeah, did he? And she was like, yeah, he had six of them. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, he's going to have another. Like, it just came out of my mouth and I told her, he's going to have another in six months. And she was really upset. And that was when I realized that, like, I probably shouldn't have just blurted it out like this. But mm. I realized that the feeling I had before was just, we in spirituality, we call it channeling. Like, you're just channeling the energy or something and you just get it, you know. And he did have a mini heart attack in the next six months. But that's when I started to realize that my words have power. When I say words have power, it's like giving bad news and good news. You just have to be really careful with them. And, you know, when you do tarot, sometimes you can be wrong. I mean, I'm not saying I'm always right, but I can be wrong. And, you know, like when you're wrong, you have to be careful with your words because words change people. It causes wars and stuff like this. Yeah. Mm. But um, what what are these things about? I mean, like what, what like I, I was reading a little bit about Tarot, for example. You know, it, they talk about it in the 15th century. Then it was like the tool of the devil. I mean, I guess anything that was not religion in the 15th century was the tool of the devil. You know, like yeah. no matter what it was. As long as it was God, it was fine. Exactly. Everything else was the devil. <laughs> and, uh, so true. But, uh, and then I think now in the 70s or something, like in the hippie time, it became a little bit more accepted somewhere. It became a little bit more mainstream, it se- seems like, or something like that. But... What, what, why? What, what, what is tarot? I mean, like... Wh- so I think um, runes, oracles, tarot, coffee reading, tea reading, candle reading, all these things are just basically forms of divination to help you see into the future. Mm. And a lot of people only want to see into the future. And these things are like tools. You know, like the Ouija board is exactly the same. Have what's that? We the Ouija board, like you talk to the dead using that board. Yeah, 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 with the with the glass and yep. the spirits. Uh-huh. Yeah, so all these things to me, they're just like tools that you can use to read into the future. And um, for me, I, I use it a little differently than others, I guess. But tarot is, yeah, it was quite, it was quite taboo. I mean, I would still say it's quite taboo. Like now when I go out on a date and I tell someone, oh, you know, like I do tarot for a living. They just think I'm crazy. And I understand that because they don't have the same experience, so I don't expect anyone to fully understand it, but it's still not very accepted. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's also because people are getting... They're very rational and objective, so they want scientific um, information for everything that they have. Mm. And when people talk about divination or any forms of divination, they they panic, you know, because there is no proper science behind it. And there are people who do this and actually are terrible with it. And they are fakes, you know, scammers and stuff. And people have a very adverse reaction to that. And I can understand that completely. So I don't push anyone for a tarot reading. But I would say it's still quite taboo. Um, not in the way where people would stone you to death, but in a way for your personal life when you have friends or date someone. So so guys think this is weird. They do. They and really it do. it puts them off. Yes, my last relationship kind of ended because of this, but yes. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's interesting what you're saying about this... Um, these methods because you know like these these more spiritual or or intangible unmeasurable 
methods and remedies are what we have used um, for, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of years. You yeah. know, like we used plants and we used fruits and we, you know, like, um, and, uh, and, and it's really interesting in a, in a modern world now, it's, it's, it's all been replaced by pills. Yes. And, uh, and if you, if you say, oh, I can help you healing with, um, I don't know, a tarot reading or Oracle deck or, mm-hmm. or, or, or reading runes with you or something like mm-hmm. that. I can help you deal with your trauma. And then there is on the other end a billion dollar business telling them take this pill and your problems go away. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about this? I think people want evidence. They want numbers. They expect things to be black and white. They mm. want it in front of their face, you know, on a contract and a number. And when you do tarot readings and rune readings, I think a lot of people don't have an actual understanding of how it works just like how people don't have an actual understanding of how certain plants work for curing yourself taking care of your skin and selves and stuff like this you know Mm. people don't want to read up on it they don't want to accept it i would say and they don't want to invest the time in it they just exactly the pill it takes two seconds to swallow exactly it because i think for them it's people have this uh, mentality that if it's science it's with numbers i trust it but for me, I think this is a double-edged sword because on one hand, if you're lucky that the pharmacy is not lying to you and hiding any numbers from you, then fine, you know, you're good. You have mm. no problems. But on the other hand, there are so many side effects and sometimes, I'm not saying like the pharmacy could be lying to you or medical industry is lying to you. That's not what I'm saying. No, they are, but, but uh, I would say they are. <laughs> but... I think on the other hand, it's up to you to decide what's good for your body. You know, like when I came to Europe, so many women were on contraceptive pills Mm. and I was shocked and everyone was telling me, Catelyn, take it, take it. And I did with my last boyfriend. I took the Nuva ring. It's just something that you insert. I didn't eat anything. And I was depressed for three months. Every day I woke up, I wanted to kill myself. And I was really fucking depressed. And I was in a really good place before I had this ring inside of me. And... I was already doing tarot and learning how to meditate and be mindful. I was in a really good spot until I took the Nuva ring. And people were like, yeah, but you have to keep trying different contraceptive ways to get used to it. And I said, this is terrible. So you're just asking my body to get used to different pills just because I want to have fun and the guy doesn't want to use a condom. I'm not going to do that. Mm. And that was when I realized that people inherently just take what is the easiest way or what is the way that most people are talking about they don't really pay attention to their bodies they don't listen to what the body is telling them you know like for example for example some people they go on multiple holidays a year and that says something that's because they hate their job they don't like their job they don't like their actual life in where they are now and this speaks a lot it speaks volumes mm-hmm. but people don't see that you know they just want to say you know what i just need a holiday you don't need a holiday you just hate your life <laughs> and I hate to say this, but it's true, isn't it? I I, I don't yeah. know. Like yeah, for me, no, no. I mean, obviously, if you if you keep running away from something, and then it must be that it's causing you some, yeah, you know, unhappiness. And I'm not saying that it's not okay to take holidays, but if we compare this to the analogy of medicine, it's the same. Oh, I don't feel good. I need the meds, but do you really need it? Mm. Is it because you're really sick, or is it because you're used to having it? I'm actually very happy after I moved here because, you know, I, I, as I said, I'm, I'm from Iceland, then I lived in Denmark, and these are very, you know, medically driven societies where, where pharmacies and are on every corner and it's easier to get pills from the doctor than it is to get rain from the sky, you know, and, and <laughs> uh, 
And then I came here and I went to the doctor and I just told her, give me some antibiotics. She said, no, why? Why should I do that? And I said, well, I feel sick. And I said, yeah, but, you know, go home and talk to me in a week. And I'll, if you still feel bad, then, or if it gets worse, call me. If it still feels bad in a week, I will reconsider. And she forced me into taking all sorts of homeopathic stuff. And, you know, and, uh, and I actually realized that, for example, a lot of, I don't know, small things like headaches and stuff, I mm -hmm. can actually heal with drinking water, taking magnesium and eating the right stuff and... You know, a lot of my back pain I can heal by stretching and I don't need to take a pill. And you, you know what I mean? That it's, is so true. And, and, but, but someone like you or anyone who is, let's say, and, and that's the weird thing. We call this alternative medicine today. It's not fucking alternative. This is the mainstream. The pills are alternative because they're only 80 years old, you know? Yeah. And, and, then, and if someone like you, if, if you would come on TV in Iceland, They would write articles. They would even tell oh, someone should take her to the police. She's selling snake oil, you know? Yeah, they would, yeah. It's fucked up. How is this accepted here, like this kind of healing? Sorry, um, could you repeat What it? you're doing, how is it accepted here? I think a lot of people don't really understand this, but it's not like healing. I'm sorry, it's true. Like psychic readings are healing, but I don't heal you. I mm. only show you how to heal and where to heal. So, for example, when I do a reading, um, I had a really good reading last night with a really nice lady. Um, I remember her first reading. We were chatting and she asked me some stuff about, like, why she's not falling in love. And when she was talking to me, I had, like, a vision, you know, like, even though my eyes were open, something was flashing in my eyes and I could see, like, someone hitting her. And I said, were you abused? And she just looked at me. She was like, no, not really. And in my head, I was like, oh, God, this is not enough information for her. I must be missing something. So I had the number 25. So I said, it happened to you when you were 25. And she looked at me and she said, but there was such a short relationship. It was like not even significant. It was just like a few months. And I said, it doesn't matter. The trauma is there. You have to go and talk to your therapist. And she has one. So what I do is that I just tell people like where the problem is, mm -hmm. what age. And usually like the ages represent some kind of trauma, like very deeply rooted trauma or pain that has affected them until now. And they would have to talk to a therapist Or they would have to meditate and learn how to accept it and let go, which is another fucking long process. But yes, yeah, so usually like with my readings, I think it's a little different than what people expect. A lot of people want to know about their past lives. They want to know about the future, which I think is great. I, I understand that. Like we, so that's we, more of an entertaining or, or more of an entertaining angle in that sense. No, I think it's more of like reassuring people and comforting people. But mm -hmm. my readings are slightly different, I guess. I, I tell them like where the problem is and how it affects them now. Like why are you being the way you are now? Why are you not falling in love with the right people? Or why are you like scared when you go to a bar? You know, things like that's like very simple things. And I will tell you like this is why because at this age maybe this happened. Sometimes I cannot be super specific to tell them which age or which day. But I can say like, okay, you had this experience and This is like a problem for you. Do you know how to fix it? Do you have a therapist? And usually if they say no, I'll refer to them to one. If they don't have money for a therapist, which I understand, then I will give them some meditations that you could try. But, you know, a very famous psychic, Kyle Gray, he said this before, raising your vibration is a lifestyle. And he's right. Changing your um, life uh, through understanding your traumas and how it affects you today is a lifestyle. You have to actively, constantly consciously do it every day mm. and it's something that i believe in and that's what i do with my readings so i don't actually heal someone but i do have clients telling me that they feel really good after seeing me and they say oh my god i'm half healed i was like no honey you're not you just you need to continue with your meditation
So I don't actually like I do predict future things like engagements, loss of jobs. I don't know. I had a recent one where I saw the Green Reaper. I really what the Green the Green Reaper. The Green Reaper. Shit. Yeah. Uh, usually that's a really bad omen in mm. the spirituality world. We know that, but I've never actually experienced it. For me, I usually just have visions of the future mm-hmm. or like sometimes I have the dead around them that I can see, but it's not, I'm not very good with mediumship. So like there are many kinds of readings. Um, it doesn't matter with Oracle or runes, but every like reader, they should know what they are very good in. So for some readers, they can tell you, oh, I'm good with love. And I have friends who are very good with love readings. So if you want to know, like, what is your problem with love, you should probably go to her instead of me. And what's your, what's your, what, what are you good with? Mine is pain. Mm-hmm. I see people's pain and that's why I tell them where their trauma is and they have to fix it. And I guess that comes from your own life or, or what do you think? I mean, your, your past. Yeah, I think my past helps a lot because I see a lot of women in similar situations like me. Mm. And some of them are scared. Some of them are very strong. All of them are strong, actually. But the, you know, like the pain manifests in different ways. And it takes a really long time to understand that. And I think for me, it helps me to see that what I went through, it wasn't just me alone. There were a lot of women like this, you know. And I see now that the pain affects us very differently. You know, like I'm so disassociated now. But another woman could be crying. Like the moment if I say something, she could just cry. And I see that pain affects people in different ways. But it makes me happy, I guess, and makes me feel good or accomplished when I help them figure out where the issue is. Because to me, I think it's really important to fix it, to go to therapy. And I'm a huge fan of therapy. I'm not a huge fan of therapy with medicine, but I'm talking about like therapy where you Mm, talk to someone and they help you fix it. Mm. Yeah, so that's something that I really enjoy. But I guess like um, um, it must be triggering sometimes for you to go if you if you help someone identifying a trauma that is similar to yours or, or somehow. Yes, I had one that was very similar to mine. It was very triggering. Mm. And I didn't realize that it was triggering. I just felt sorry for I thought I was feeling sorry for her, you mm. know. And I was talking to my therapist and we were talking about me being less disassociated to be more, to feel more, basically. And I was trying to reach that stage where I could feel more. But uh, during that reading, I felt a lot of things. And a huge part of me thought it was pity or sympathy for her. It was only after the reading, I cried during her reading. Even before we did the cards, I was just meditating. I started to cry. And after that, um, I went home. I talked to my therapist. But I was really depressed after the reading. I had like two hours. I just laid in bed. I didn't do anything. And I was just, God, I'm sad. Why am I sad? Like, what is happening? And the next day, I spoke to my therapist. And she said, you know, it's because what she went through was very similar to yours. And it just made me realize that I wasn't really as over it as I thought I was. That's why I was tearing up a little bit when I was talking about it. And this is how my clients help me. You know, like if I want to be better with my tower readings, I want to be more accurate, I want to advance better with my gifts, then I would have to keep finding out my own traumas. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I can't really find it. As I said, and I can't this remember. Pushes it. You and, yep. yeah. it pushes me. So whenever it gives me a reaction, be it positive or negative, it's like a trigger. So usually we call this the trigger trauma response so based on the triggers you can slowly program your brain to find out which exact trauma is causing you to be upset or causing you to be too happy or too angry Mm. or whatever it is so this is based on trigger and this is what my clients do so when i have triggers then i realize oh shit i haven't really fixed this yet 
And that's something that I would probably have to do it by myself or with my therapist. Mm. Um, what about the energy? I mean, like if you, and I, I was actually curious, how, how does it work? Like, let's say that I, I mm -hmm. wanted to come for a reading with you. Um, is it like an hour or, or, or is it multiple time? I mean, how, how does that work? It usually takes one to two hours. It depends. Mm, I think, okay, if you talk about it in a very scientific way, it's basically just imagine yourself in your safe space and there's like a force field around you, mm. correct? And when you have a force field, you have like radio waves, you have like frequency, like what we're doing right now in a podcast. Mm. So what I do during a reading is that I'm like a radio. I just slowly tune into your frequency and I find out things about you that is important and I tell you. Mm. That's what I would say my reading is. So that, that could all be done in one session as such i mean it wouldn't necessarily have to be multiple i think it depends on what aspect we are talking about if it's just trauma then i can tell you it's just one session mm -hmm. but that session will only show you what you need to fix now so some people they have very i have seen some people with very serious traumas that they are not ready to fix or they don't even remember you yeah, know then you so need when to dig again or, or sometimes they get very offended when you tell them and they say no this never happened to me and i said okay that's fine but i have like sometimes they go to other people and other psychics who also know me and they will call me and say you know i sensed this i don't know if it was just me i was like no i had the same <laughs> mm -hmm. so that's what i mean you know like sometimes like the trauma is just what you can fix the moment mm -hmm. and then when you're better and then you'll see more deeper more painful ones so it's just like when you do the first one, it's like having a candy, you know? And then the second one is like having the cake, but having to swallow the whole cake. Mm. And the third one is like swallowing like hot soup. So it's just like one trauma after another. So I would say after one reading, with four, if you talk with Joe about trauma, I think one reading can last for six months and then or a year. And then you can come back after that to tell me or see me again and I can tell you what's the next one you need to work on. So that's usually how I do it. Um, if we talk about like psychic readings, which is primarily focused on future or like different blockages, mm. like work and stuff, then for psychic readings, I think people can do it like anytime they want. But I try not to have many things in one, like in one reading. Some people want to ask about work, love and, and trauma all in one reading. And I always say like, you can't do that, you know, because I, I want to be very specific and in-depth. So you have to choose something that's important for you. If you just want something super general, that's fine too, but it's not going to be really helpful. Mm. And but isn't it draining? Like if you if you are uh, like just energy, um, regardless of the topic. I mean, like you, I guess you need to kind of channel your energy somehow, and you need to focus and be I don't know connected somehow. It's like I don't know. Um, I remember when I was in university and I was doing exams. It, it drained me. You know, I felt yep. empty afterwards. Like mm -hmm. I, I mean, I don't know. I have never really done anything important in life, so I don't know anything. <laughs> Like this, but isn't it? Doesn't it take a lot of your energy somehow? Um, it does, but I think everyone deals with energy differently. So mm. for me, I it used to take a lot. Of, okay, I have to be really honest. When I first started, it used to take a lot of energy from me, and I knew it was because I didn't really know who I was. You know, I didn't know what I was good in. I didn't know what I was doing. I just took whatever clients I could. And after that, I didn't know how to clean myself. You know, I didn't know how to take care of myself. What so, do you mean by cleaning yourself? Like, um, you know, a lot of psychic readers, we have two different aspects. If we talk about like the general one, we have psychic readers, people who do tarot, divination, and then we have mediums. Mediums are people who talk to the dead. And I can do both. 
but I'm not very good with the medium part. So people like us, we have to, we talk about raising your energy or raising your vibration. That's one way to clean it. So when we talk about cleaning, it's like after the reading, you have to take a shower or you have to meditate. You have to get the energy away from you. You knock the cuts and stuff like this. But those are very basic ways. I realized what really worked for me was raising my energy and my vibration. So sometimes you can see like some psychic readers or like mediums, they, they're vegetarian or they're vegan. Or some of them, they do yoga. Some of them exercise a lot. Some of them have a routine. All of them have something that they really stick to. Mm. Like for me, I have a tattoo. I'm not really good with being vegetarian. I tried, but um, I try to raise my vibration every day by having time alone for myself. And every morning I look in the mirror and I remind myself like who I am, you know, like I have a tattoo on my leg that says I'm love and why I'm doing this job. So it's like when you're very rooted and grounded to this reality and you know who you are, which I call it the truth of self, when you truly understand yourself, that is when you understand like how to replenish your own energy that it cannot really be taken away. You can always get it back. Mm. You just need to know how. Mm -hmm. And the only way to know how is to, number one, set boundaries. Number two, raise your vibration, have a routine, have alone time, um, eat whatever you want, but have enough time for yourself. Take good care of your body. If you're gluten-free, please don't eat gluten, you know, things like this. Mm -hmm. So basic things like this about raising your energy really helps to keep your energy within you or help you replenish it every day. <sighs> I really need to raise my vibrations here. <laughs> um, but um, the runes, I'm, I'm a little bit because the cards I understand that, uh, mm -hmm. uh, well, no, I don't understand that, but I know <laughs> there are beautiful pictures of beautiful people on those cards, some warriors, shield maidens and stuff like that. But then you have the runes. Yeah. And we have these runes, the Nordic runes. Mm -hmm. um, why why are you reading runes? I mean, what's that about? What, what I was just... Actually, I have no idea. I started with cards and I have so many decks. God, I can't even with myself. Uh, I just started doing runes like randomly. I just wanted to try and I just really connected with them, especially with the Nordic ones. Mm. Um, I would assume that's because I have a past life in the Nordic regions, but... Uh -huh. Tell me more about that. What's what's your past life in Nordic? I had a past life reading before I started doing tarot and she told me specifically like why I was the way I was and where I was from. Um, there was one that was Jewish in Israel and then there was one in Australia being an Aboriginal and then the other one was in the Nordic regions. But the one in Nordic regions was like the very starting of it. And I didn't really believe her in that reading, you know, because it was my very first one. So I didn't really give a fuck. But um, when I was growing up, I was always very drawn to the tree of life and I never understood why and towards the end of the reading she was just casually putting a card and she pulled out she said okay so you got the tree of life and at that moment I was like what the actual fuck because she pulled out the one thing that really mattered to me and I think it was over a course of a few months when I started doing oracle cards that I was really drawn to Idrasil and that was when I realized I wasn't drawn to the tree of life I was drawn to the nine realms in Idrasil which is a Nordic symbol for the tree of life and I started reading about the runes and I started to try doing readings with them I had a teacher she taught me like a few things she was really helpful and after that I just started doing it for people and runes are much more darker than cards like they see a lot of pain so if I do like an actual um, Idrisil reading the Idrisil reading is when you throw a bunch of runes on like this cloth oh, yeah. and it shows 
a very in-depth understanding of self. So if anybody wants to use runes to predict the future and stuff like that, that's perfect. But the runes are actually, for me, the Nordic ones are perfect for understanding yourself, like yeah, on a very deep level. And, and personality yeah. and especially your dark side. You know, that's the most important mm. thing. I think a lot of people don't want to revisit the dark side of yourself. But somehow I'm not surprised that the Nordic runes are very much about... Uh, I mean, we have... I mean, I have this tattoo on my, my hand here, which is in runes, and it's it's a, it's beautiful. It's like uh, your animals die, your family dies, you will die. <laughs> the only thing that doesn't die is your reputation. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. the the gist of it. And yeah, and I for me, I mean, we learned this as kids in Iceland. It's a part of poetry that we learn in school. You know, old old Nordic poetry. And I never really. You know, paid any attention to you because you know I'm not I'm not into any poetry from any other parts of the world. You know, <laughs> this is just what we had to learn in school. Mm-hmm. And then when I was telling people about this, because you know this this uh, particular verse of this poem stuck with me somehow, and and uh, and then I had it tattooed on me, and and uh, and then when I tell people this, they oh this is this is really positive. This is really a positive message that every everything fucking dies. You know. And then I actually realized that a lot of our our culture and and, and literature is is somehow based in darkness. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't know why. You know, it's it's very much you know killing, revenge, uh, betrayal. You know, we we have all these, and you see this in the runes. Yeah, it's like I feel like these runes are very. I don't really know the full story, but I know like Odin is. I won't say he's like Jesus, but he died to get the runes and Freya was interpreting them and stuff like this. And I feel like the runes were very, well, like a very um, accurate depiction of human life, you know? Mm. All the very extreme, intense emotions. You don't just feel angry, you feel betrayal, you feel jealous, you feel envy, you know, all these very strong emotions. And I feel like the Nordic runes really encompass them and talk about them a lot. And this is what I love about the runes because it's, it's not dark, but it helps you understand yourself on a very deep level to why things are the way they are. But to be honest, like the runes were not really used for divination until like a few decades ago mm. or a few centuries ago. Mm. The people that come to you, I mean, uh, are they ready for this? You know, are, or or is it like? Uh I have. There are some people that are ready for it. Um, there are some people that are not. Those, those people that are not sometimes they. I don't know how to say it, but I think they get overwhelmed, and it also helps me improve because I realize I have to give messages in a different way. Some people really cannot take negative messages, and this is when I come in and realize, okay, you know what? I can't really just you know vomit on them. Um, <laughs> usually, I just I always <laughs> tell people, you know, if you feel bad. Or if you feel like you're not comfortable with the reading, you don't have to do it. So I have people cancel on me like the very last minute or even after they see me. And I said, that's fine. I, I I do get a little sad because like I'm like, oh my God, something wrong with me. And then I remember, no, actually it's not. It's just she's not ready or we are not the right fit. Because you, it's like finding a therapist. You have to find some of the same energy mm-hmm. as yours. Mm-hmm. So I have had readings that were a bit creepy. And honestly, we didn't vibe so well. So that was one thing that I was like, my therapist and I actually talked about it and she said you have to be very careful who you do readings for because you don't want to do it for someone who doesn't appreciate it or who doesn't want to see certain things about themselves and you bring it out in them and it's very dark, you know, as I said, mm. with the pain. So yeah, some people are really not ready. So some of the readings didn't go as well as I would like or they get really defensive. Um, some others, they get overwhelmed and insecure. Uh, 
Some of them, they just cancel beforehand, which I much prefer because it means that they really know themselves. They can feel it. Uh, some of my other readings were fine. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of like clients tell me, oh, I feel really good. Or I feel really good. And after the reading, they're like, fuck. And I say, <laughs> you okay? Do you have any questions? Oh, it's just so much. You know, I just need to process. Sure. And I would say, okay, sure. Just process and we can come back to it after that. Mm. But it is like you're saying, it's 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 almost like a pre-screening in a way that you are yeah. helping them identifying where their issues are or mm-hmm. traumas and stuff like that mm-hmm. and then they can decide what what where they take that you know what are they going to do about it what yes. is it that that you know what's the next step so you mm-hmm. you are actually you don't present yourself as that you're healing them in no. in a way you're actually more helping them understanding yes which is often the biggest step Yes. In the process towards healing, though, because, mm-hmm. you know, first you need to admit that there is something wrong mm-hmm. and then you need to go and do something about it. I exactly. Guess. Mm. A lot of people think that psychic mediums are healers, you know, mm. but we are not. We only show you where to heal and how to heal. Mm. And the how to heal is completely subjective. Everybody does it in a different way. Yeah. Well, maybe mediums are healers. Mediums are people who talk to the dead. Yes, I would say that sometimes when, like, I don't know if I had I had a few mediums and they talked to me. We have like practice circles and people tell me my grandfather is me, is with me all the time. Sometimes I see him, but we don't really talk. He doesn't say much, except when he wants to cock block me. But yes, we don't really talk. <laughs> oh much. wait, your grandpa shows up when you're on dates. He did for one of this guy I did a reading for this guy that I had a date with, and he was like, "Nope, you can't do this. This guy is not the right one." And I was like, "Great, you know, of all the times you could talk, and that you you chose now to talk when I'm doing his reading." I think that will be the the name of this episode: the cock blocking, the ultimate cock block. Yeah, the ultimate cock block by yeah. a dead grandfather. I know. It's like he rose from the grave to tell me that, and I was like, "Dude, when I was meditating, you didn't say anything, and now you just randomly come up and like cock block me." That's really, really interesting. <laughs> but, but, sorry. Yeah, but, but now, like a very stupid question, but how do dead people look when you see them? I don't see them as clearly as other people do. Mm. Um, but do you see the, uh, I as see a like human outlines. shape? Or? I see human shapes. Uh-huh. Sometimes, I like I told you, I see the Green Reaper. That one was really clear for me. Sometimes I see angels. Um, sometimes angels, I don't see their faces. You know, I see colors and I see like the wings behind them. And then some, we have something called ascended masters. They are like, they're not angels. They're not God, but they are like enlightened beings like Buddha or, okay, that's wrong. Maybe Buddha isn't, but like Jesus Christ, Mother Mary, all these are ascended mm. beings. Mm. I have seen- Like as- the, the, the lower level of, of management in- <laughs> Yes. Like the, me- <laughs> the mid-level management, Jesus yeah. and those dudes. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I won't say, okay, yeah, that's God, God is the CEO. <laughs> Jesus was just like a senior vice president of sales or something. Yeah. Usually Ascended Masters, they have a very different energy. Uh-huh. And it's, they usually look different. Like they look human, but they, I don't know. Like I saw one and he was like two meters tall and I couldn't see anything. It was just a lot of light and he was just really tall. And I and I was waiting for the angels, like for the wings to come up, you know. So I thought, is it an angel? I was like, no. And it's like, it's not very clear for me. It, it's not. It's not like super clear where I can see everything. I am better with the psychic part than the mediumship part. So if mm-hmm. anybody asks me or they come for a reading, I always tell them, you know what? If I see the dead and I can talk to them, I will talk to them. I but cannot I can't promise, promise you that they show up. anything. Yes. So for me, like my psychic part is stronger. So if you ask me about your past, your present and your future, I can sometimes give you specific days, mm. years and stuff like this. 
But the mediumship part is something that I'm still practicing. I'm just going to feed her a little bone here. Let's break. So yeah, now my my dog got her bone, so she yes. is peaceful in the in the. She's she's a special <laughs> assistant of the show. She um, is. She um, yeah, she makes everyone feel welcome. Puts she dog is. hair everywhere and then gets annoyed <laughs> when I talk too much. <clears throat> so you never get scared when you see the dead. I was I was quite scared, and that's why I chose to focus more on my psychic abilities first. Mm. Um, I started seeing the dead more often after I was with my last boyfriend. He was Czech. We were living in a different place. It was in Malahokle. And I didn't really know much about the place. But I would always feel something, you know. I could always see something. And it's just really like, I don't know. In Chinese, we call it like back feng shui. I would never buy a house there. It's a beautiful place. But it's just, it doesn't give you good vibes, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was after I was being with him that I started to see the dead more often. But I started to see the dead after my grandfather died. He died last year, mm-hmm. and uh, two days before my birthday, actually. Um, we were not very close. We didn't talk much, but he doesn't know I was in Prague. Two days later, I was like in my house, and I was already doing tarot by then. So I was just like casually walking around and like reading a book, and I was sitting on the couch, and I just felt like someone standing behind me. And usually I clean my house because I was so paranoid, so I didn't like like those things around, and I always like kick them out. So I was just curious that someone- You kick was- out the spirits, you mean? Yeah, like you kind mm-hmm. of like cleanse the house with a bowl and stuff like this. A lot of people use sage. I do not recommend that because it's culturally inappropriate for some people, especially white sage. But I use singing bowls and music usually um, and meditation. So I felt like someone standing behind me and he was standing there for a long time. And there was when I was like, okay, you know what? I probably shouldn't kick you out because I wasn't sure if it was my grandfather. So I just like, who is this? You know, and I closed my eyes and I saw my grandfather, like just like, around and that was uh, that was when i was like shit fuck and i was a bit shocked you know and since then i've seen him like much more often mm. um i've seen others too but he's the one that's always there yeah mm-hmm. well okay i know it's crazy yeah it's it is but uh yeah it is <laughs> your face you know gold <laughs> <laughs> um but uh I'm 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 curious though because if you if you're dealing with other people's trauma somehow I mean you're 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 spending your time helping them identifying their traumas and stuff like that how isn't that like putting an alcoholic to to work at a bar Yeah it is pretty close but I think like what I really like with my clients is that they help me heal they help me see like what other parts of myself that I need to work on mm. because usually like when I get triggered as I told you uh, it helps me see like certain parts of myself that I know that I need to fix mm. in order to change my life. And also I really enjoy this work, you know. I enjoy making people understand why they are the way they are. Because a lot of people are stuck in this cycle of, oh, you know, if something good happens, then something really bad will happen after. Like my life is just shit. You know, some people, they have this thinking. And usually it comes from years of like pain or abuse or like low self-esteem all kinds of stuff Mm. and it really makes me like happy that people are actively healing themselves and i didn't actually go into it like i only started going into it when i did tarot and around that same time i started to read like um post from this um psychologist online her name is la Pereira. i think it's like a 
Spanish name, but her page is called The Holistic Psychologist. She has a degree in psychology and she talks about a lot without using medicines and stuff. And she talks a lot about different traumas. It was actually reading her post that I realized like what the different traumas were, like the mother wound, the father wound, setting boundaries. Like she had very specific mm. things on what to do. And that's what I do with my clients too. Mm. And I use a lot of her videos and stuff to talk about it. Mm. So you're in some way healing yourself at the same time by by kind of putting yourself in in directions of where you could improve. Yeah, and also I like comforting people. You know, mm. I like to assure. Okay, not assure. I like to make people see that life is not as bad as they think they are. I want people to see that they are worthy of love. You know, they are worthy mm. of love. They are worthy of good relationships. But they can only have that if they love themselves, you know. And I'm not saying that, oh, you know, like you have to love yourself in order to get love. No, you can have a relationship and work on your trauma with your boyfriend. You can mm. completely do that, but you mm. have to find the right person to do that. And that's always a problem. And like sometimes, like even for me, you know, like my therapist, is, she made a joke and she was like, you know, you, you cannot really date someone that you're physically attracted to. And I said, great, I have to date ugly guys then. And she was... <laughs> She was saying that I was very physically attracted to men that were like my father at some point of time. And she wasn't wrong because the men that I was physically attracted to, they had components of my father, like emotionally manipulative or something like that. You know, there yeah. must be something. And it was my last relationship that completely was the opposite. And I was like, oh my God, this is like a game changer for me. And I wanted to help people see that too. You know, I want to help people understand like, why is it they can't cry? Why is it they can't be vulnerable? Which is my problem. When you're disassociated, you cannot be vulnerable because you can't cry, mm. you can't have emotions. So what do you do? You just distract yourself and become super strong. Mm. And that's why people are like, oh, Kathleen, you're so strong. I know, but that's the problem. It's not because I'm too strong, but because I cannot be weak. I cannot be vulnerable with a man. So even if I'm in a relationship with them, I'm not vulnerable with them. You know, I'm not really showing my true self with them. And this is something that is the foundation of any normal relationship mm. to be able to have vulnerabilities and share with each other. Mm. A lot of people don't understand these things, you know, like the healthy boundaries, the things you have to do and the healing. Like nobody has, a lot of people don't have any idea about this and they don't understand how this could completely change their life. And that's why I do what I do because I love life. I love people. I love love, you know. I mean, I don't idolize like fanatical love, but I love love, you know. I love the idea of love. But you can't have the idea of love if you don't have an idea of self. Mm. I think also with this um, this um, boundaries and and uh, expectations of of relationships and 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 the compromise that a relationship has to include somehow mm -hmm. <clears throat> and understanding. I think it's also something that we don't really learn anywhere. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. we learn a lot of useless algebra and, and, <laughs> you do. and, you know, I could probably build a spaceship with some of the, the mathematics stuff that yeah. I, I learned, but I wasn't, I mean, I'm old. So obviously I'm a product of an older, older system, but where are we supposed to learn this from, you know, Vogue exactly. magazine or, or OK magazine or, or, you know, Esquire or whatever, the, or Enquire, or I don't know, even know what this is called, you know. So I, I think, I think that, uh, and, and, and vulnerability is also stigmatized, you know, because mm -hmm. uh, being vulnerable is weak. It's, uh, it's the losers that are vulnerable. It's the winners. You know, that's the mentality yep. of the world, you know. Yeah, because everybody wants to win. Yeah. And nobody understands that love should be the driving force of everything. Mm. 
And a lot of times, like we go to school, we learn things, but nobody teaches you how to communicate. Mm. Like when my students are upset in class, like online, I always ask them what's bothering you. And they always mm. say nothing. And I say, you know, if you don't communicate, I will never know. Mm. If you don't tell me, I can't make you feel better. Yeah. And this is how it should be in a normal relationship. You know, parents should have this with their children, which in turn means the children can have boundaries. Mm. But as I said, like for me in an abusive background or other women or other men having the same problems, there are no boundaries. So they don't know how to set them. And that's why they keep going for people who violate their boundaries because it feels like home. And this is what makes me upset because when I do tarot, when I do things like this, I want people to see that they're in bad relationships. You know, I had recently I had a reading. It was interesting. Long story short, I was, um, I was uncomfortable, you know, like when people come to me for love readings, because I know love readings are very tricky. I have seen love readings where I know the person is really cheating on them, but I can't tell them that, you know, you, you can never tell a person in like a reading that their partner is cheating on them because one, you might be wrong. But number two, if you're not wrong, then, you know, it creates a lot of friction. A lot of people don't know how to handle that. They don't know how to communicate. And most of the time, the person cheating on them also do not know how to communicate. That's why they're in this relationship. And uh, for me, like, I really don't like it when people ask me for love readings because they come and they, I have to tell them very personal things about themselves. And these are things that I'm not used to. And the thing about this is that all these things that we are not used to, all these things that we are not used to when people talk about love and stuff or how to communicate is because no one taught us how to. And this is what I want to do in my tarot reading. You know, I want to help people. So I had this guy, he came to me and... He asked me some stuff about love, like choosing between choices. And initially I was a little judgmental, you know, I mm. was like, oh, really? And, you know, I, because of my abuse history, I was a bit apprehensive of men. So I stopped dating for a bit now. And I had this, like, I know I have to get over this dislike for men, not dislike for any men. It's just like this preconception that mm. I have, you know, mm. every time I see someone. So when he came to me for a reading, I just didn't say much, you know, and during the reading, I saw like his partner was a narcissist and an abuser. And I didn't realize it so clearly until he showed me her picture. So actually, I can also like look at someone's personality through their eyes. I just need a picture with their eyes. Has to be recent. And when I saw her picture, I was like, oh my God. Like I felt like I was back with my father, you know? And I was like, do you know you're dating a narcissist? And he was like, I don't think she knows that she's one. And at that moment, it was like a realization for me, you know, like initially I was a bit apprehensive and judging a little bit, but then I realized how stupid I was because I didn't know his story. Mm. I didn't try to empathize with him. I had no love, you know? And I know why I had no love because I was apprehensive of men. And that's why I mean, mm. like, mm. and in that moment, I, I realized that, that this is what is happening with the world. You know, we are seeing things with a different perspective perspective mm. and different lenses so every time something happens we just judge it without knowing it yeah, yeah. and now that i know it i see it and i see like how people are stuck in cycles of abusive relationships it breaks my heart you know mm -hmm. and to know to know that i can help someone break out of it or to do a reading for someone and help people see those patterns that they are causing to themselves yeah it's to me i think it's great like not an accomplishment but it's something that i genuinely love to do mm. because i want people to have happier, healthier lives. But it's quite common for someone who has been, you know, um, abused or, or has, has had, uh, let's say, previous experience with some traumatizing events that they actually, they actually end up spending their time helping others, which is great because mm -hmm. you come to the table with an experience. You come with, a, I don't know, a mindset that is maybe different than someone i mean I, I i i probably could never 
do what you're doing, you know, because I don't have that past that you have. So that in some way enables you to help others. Mm, I think it doesn't enable me to help others. I think it just helps me empathize mm. the situation. I yeah, cannot- but ca- could you do this without empathy? Do you know what I mean? W- would it would it even be possible without? It would be possible, but the messages delivered probably wouldn't be as sensitive as it should be. Mm. I think with, I think for me, it's just about the personal touch. That's mm. why I prefer to do readings in person. I love it to do online, and I have clients from the US, and I'm very grateful for that. But I've, I like it in person because I like to hug the person. I like to talk to them. Mm. And when I see them cry, it's not because I want them to cry, but I want them to really release it out, you know? Because sometimes they, they keep it inside of them and they don't like talk about it. And when the reader tells you and they start to cry and I just hold their hand and I just wanted to know that, you know, you're not alone. And this is what a lot of people face. They feel alone because they don't understand that this pain is something that they they could deal with. They mm. could learn how to be there for themselves, mm-hmm. you know, how to love yourself and stuff. Nobody taught us that. So this is something that I really strongly advocate for. Mm. And for me, I think like being able to do it in tarot readings and to see their pain helps me understand them better like mm. as a person, but not the pain that they went through. Helps me understand them as a person and see like what other issues they can work on and who they can call on to for help. Like that's why I refer them to therapists or most of my clients when they are looking for a, for a job and stuff and they have problems, I always say, you know what, send me your resume, let me do a free one for you. I'm really good with it. So I really try my best to get them back on track. You know, that's mm. like what I really You can send them also to alfred.cz, the job searching portal. I would definitely do that. Yes. I had no about. I had no idea about this website. No. Uh, uh, anyway, what about your relationship to your family today? Your parents, your mom, dad, um, your brothers? Talk. I don't talk to my brothers so much, but we're close, I guess. Um, I talk to my parents, my, my dad and my mom, like once every two weeks. Mm. Out of out of obligation or out of desire? Out of desire for my mother. Mm. Obligation for my father. Mm. I love my father, but I think forgiveness is something that I'm still learning. My first lesson was how to heal the inner child and to be there for myself so I don't feel alone. I know how to do that already. I just don't know how to forgive yet. And I have mm. to be really honest, like a lot of people say, oh, you know, like forgiveness is something that you do when you're ready. And I agree completely, 100%. But when would you ever be ready? Are you going to be like how I did, you know, when I was talking to you and I started to cry. And honestly, I would love to come to a point where I wouldn't cry anymore. But the only time I wouldn't cry anymore is when I take myself out of the situation and forgive myself for letting this happen to me and forgive my parents for having this happen to them because Mm. my father was like this because his own mother was very abusive. Mm. And this is what I'm talking about. Like, it's just cycles of ancestral trauma, you know, and someone has to break it. So what I'm seeing here is that forgiveness is crucial for everyone to move forward in their life, not with their families or not with whatever. It's just to move forward with their life, you know, to not to overcome the trauma, not to get rid of it, but to see it from a different light Mm. and to grow from it you know Mm. and i'm not saying this to like people who are raped or or uh, people who had like kids or murdered and stuff no 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 that's not that's not what i'm doing i'm not like undermining their pain i'm just saying like forgiveness is a really um important tool and aspect that both parties should have to change their lives and this is something that i'm still like struggling with yeah because i guess like when when you for for me like for well i mean i think it's a it's a it's a very common way of of 
of uh, phrasing forgiveness. It must be, for me, it's more a relief of me carrying that burden of being angry towards someone. Mm-hmm. You know, that there that, that have been people in my life that have done things to me which I could easily see myself carrying some grudges towards them and being angry at them. But it yeah. would be just such a waste of my energy. Mm-hmm. And and they wouldn't change. It wouldn't really change them. So forgiving them is more for me to let go than to actually exactly. them getting a rubber stamp. What you did was okay. I'm never approving what they did. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying I'm just gonna let this slide. I can't because I can't change it, you know. Yeah, but I think for me it's like because I we un- we initially talk about being disassociated. Mm. I do get angry when I get angry. It's rare. I think it's like once a year or once every few months, you know. But when I do get livid or whatever it is, um, flip back, catch the rate. I try to let it slide, mm. but I see that letting it slide doesn't work for mm, me mm. because the triggers do come you know when someone does something similar i start to think oh no is he gonna do it like he did is he gonna cheat on me like this guy did and mm. it's just this recurring trigger that comes back so for me that's when i know i haven't really forgiven yet because i let it slide but this trauma will haunt me forever mm-hmm. you know and, and it's, the distrust is there somehow yeah it's just there somehow and mm. i don't want that i don't mm. want to have this distrust with people i'm dating or people i'm seeing mm. even with friends and families i don't want that you know and that is the next step that I'm trying to fix. Yeah, and I, it, it, I, I remember when, when I was d- dating, it, it was often I, I felt that it was difficult when you met someone where you felt that they, the default setting was distrust. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That yeah. you felt like you had to prove something, and then, which I understood where, from where this girls came from or what what, what had happened yeah. to their lives but i i came clean to the table but i was i wasn't clean when i sat down because i was already yeah you're already tainted by yeah, the past of the other men exactly and and uh, yeah it's it's a, it's 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 tricky um um you're gonna make a book you said right yes i was thinking about writing a book yes with a friend about um, well, there were a few ideas. We were writing one of them. We were writing about some dating stuff. Uh huh. Um, dating like with someone spiritual or dating in the current world with social media, and then the other one was we wanted to create something fun like some tarot decks. I had a friend who's a she's an illustrator, and I really wanted to create some decks with her, so I might be working with her for that. Mm-hmm. It's just like a it's, side hobby. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's more like a side project. If uh, no, if. Because you said you do these readings in in person and you do them also online. Yes. Um, 60% of my listeners are in the US and Canada. So, so you know, there might be some people who would be interested. So, um, how much does it cost per per session? What's the rack rate? Um, So, previously I was charging, like, for summer, I had a discount. It was like 33.33 US dollars for a reading. Mm-hmm. And um, which is like six hundred check rounds or something. Six hundred fifty, yeah. yeah. Oh. But in um, September, I'm changing the price of fifty US dollars because mm. I started writing a book, well, a little booklet. And in the booklet, I teach a few things like how to do the inner child healing. And that will be included in the yeah. It'll hourly. be included in every yeah, reading. Yeah. So in the reading, what happens is that you have a like a link to this Google Drive, 
I currently have seven pages in this booklet. I talk about how to meditate to quieten your mind, how to meditate to do root trauma healing, how to clean your house and stuff. So I have like very specific things. So that people I have. get more bang for the buck. I mean, there's supplemental yeah. materials. Because I, I think it's important. Like, you know, sometimes people, they open a can of worms and they don't close it, you know, yeah. and then the person suffers. Yeah. And this is not what I want. That's why I created the booklet. So if I ever forget anything, it will be in the booklet mm-hmm. so that you can go back and learn how to fix it by yourself. Mm-hmm. And I created a booklet because I know a lot of people People sometimes cannot afford therapy. And this is what I'm trying to do because I know like therapy is expensive, you know, in Asia, in the US, in Canada. And I found like a good therapist in Prague and she was affordable for me. Mm. So now I refer people to her or I refer Mm -hmm. people to this company because I want people to be able to have ready access to therapy. You know, I don't want them to suffer because they don't have therapy. Mm. So this is what I do like in the booklet and everything. So I try to. So $50 an hour. No, not an hour for the whole reading. For the whole reading, yep. so, so regardless of, hours, yeah. and then and the booklet included, yeah. And uh, where do people sign up? They can go to my Facebook. I have this Facebook. Um, uh, the links will be in the episode description yeah. as well. So you, that that's N U W V A on Facebook. Yeah. N U W A, yeah. And and something after it or something or like. Uh no, it's just Facebook.com and then N U W A Taro.com. Uh huh. And uh, uh, any other places, uh, Instagram? I have Instagram. I'm also on Instagram called uh, Niwa Taro. So N-U-W-A-T-A-R-O-T. Yeah. I have the same on like Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Calendly. Yes, the best way to book a reading for, with yeah, me is on Yeah, I saw Calendly. that. Yeah, yeah, I checked your homepage. You can book. <gasps> Thank you. You can book immediately on the, on the page. Yep. Um... Okay, this is really, really interesting. Have you seen any dead people in this room while we were talking? No, I wasn't really focusing. I don't want to see them. <laughs> Not today. No. Sorry, I'm just so tired. Yeah. Um, guys, um, yeah, follow the show. That's uh, Facebook, uh, The Bunker, How the Hell Did We End Up Here? And then uh, Instagram, Bunker Prague. And... Uh, if you like what you're listening to, then subscribe to the show. If you want to see beautiful still photos of me and my guests, then go to the YouTube channel and, and subscribe there. And uh, review and rate on Google. That's really helpful. Promotes the show. If you know some cool people that I should talk to, let me know about it. And um, yeah, I think we're good. Are we? Got yeah, him. we're good. Thank I you don't so think much. I even called you your name the whole time. I no, said you it didn't. in the Kathleen. Is that a very Singaporean name, like Kathleen? No, I think it's an Irish name. Really? Yeah, is that one of your past lives? <laughs> I wish, but You're an Irish uh, drunk. <laughs> but you don't drink. I don't drink. Why? I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs. I don't like drinking, but after I started doing tarot, I decided to be more responsible because I know like, sometimes when I am under the influence of alcohol, I have like weird visions and I know it's very difficult for me to focus. You know, So I just decided to stop drinking altogether. You you can't have liked alcohol very much than if you were ready to just drop it like this. I can have like a few shots, but I don't like it. You know, mm-hmm. I I generally don't like the taste of it, and also because like it doesn't bring me any benefit. Like yeah, I don't, I don't like the taste of it. it. Doesn't bring me any benefit, but <laughs> I really like being drunk. <laughs> no, actually, I don't like being drunk. Uh, drunk. I'm a sad drunk, so I can't. Yeah, I would if 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 it if if I could take a pill and be drunk, I would be drunk much more. I hate <laughs> the taste, you know. I just, hate it. You know, I just want to be t- wasted. and But I don't want the hangovers, but I do get them. <laughs> um, 
yeah, then it was great to have you. Super interesting. Thanks for opening up. Thanks for telling me all these things. Um, guys, go and check out her page. Check out... Uh, I think I'm going to send people to her for readings. Um, runes, tarots, oracle decks, all this, the shebang, you know, spiritual readings and talking to people and whatever. And uh, yeah, Catherine, thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having me. Have a nice trip home. Thank you. Bye.